listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture reading is from Mark 1, verse 14 through 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Joanne. I'm getting my steps in this morning. Excellent. Oh, man. So I hope everyone's coming off of a good weekend. Um, I had a pretty busy day yesterday. It was Zeke's fourth birthday, which was awesome. My son turned four years old, which was a lot of fun. Um, And we do this thing in our house, uh, which is probably a terrible idea. On our kids' birthdays, we let them pick the menu for the day. (laughs) Um, So I am running 24 hours of donuts, popcorn, McDonald's, and cake. So if I pass out like midway through the sermon, just get me a shot of insulin and I will be good. I'll be good. Uh, We're talking about repentance today. That's our topic. Repent and believe in the good news. We're actually at a pretty important point in Mark's gospel. Um, We've had about two weeks now of introduction. We've talked about um, John the Baptist last week. We've talked about uh, who Mark was, what a gospel is. And today marks a a turning point because we're finally getting to hear from Jesus. Yay! (laughs) Um, This is the first time that Jesus speaks in Mark's gospel, which is significant. Significant, one, um, because Mark doesn't give us a lot of the teachings of Jesus, like in comparison with the other gospels. Uh, Most of the parables, the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of that stuff doesn't show up in Mark. So when Mark does have Jesus speaking, we should pay pretty close attention because normally uh, Mark's talking about what Jesus does more so than what he says. But it's also important because, and we've talked about this, Mark's gospel was probably the earliest gospel to be written, which means that these words in this passage are quite possibly the first words of Jesus to ever be put down on paper. That's pretty significant. Let's read the first part of our passage one more time. Um, Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. Let's hear these opening words from Jesus. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. John the Baptist, who we talked about last week, has been arrested. If you thought this story was going to be about John, nope, he's out of the picture now. This is a story about Jesus, and Jesus comes on the scene preaching repentance. 
The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear a message like that, when I hear repent, when I hear the time has come, my mind goes to these guys. People like this. Anybody with me on this? The kind of doomsday folks. The, these kind of wild-eyed, uh, often kind of angry, usually men, um, who stand on a street corner with a sign preaching repentance. The kind of guy that, like, when you see someone like this on the street, you, like, duck your head and pass by quickly and just hope they won't notice you, right? It's like, please don't let Jesus be one of these guys, But when I hear the word repent, this is where my mind goes. Repent isn't a word that we use all that often in like general conversation. You hear it from preachers, you hear it from these folks, and you hear it from like annoying friends and family members who think you're going to hell. That's about the extent of it. But Jesus comes on the scene preaching repentance, which means that we have to talk about it. And I think despite whatever baggage some of us might have around the word repentance, we might find some surprises when we look at at Jesus' message and what he meant by repent. So let's dig into it. And we're going to get nerdy right off the bat. Um, We're going to talk about biblical languages for a little bit, some Greek and some Hebrew, because the word repent is just too loaded for some of us, just too much baggage. So let's go back to the source and see what Jesus was talking about. When you see the word repent in your Bible, uh, it's usually a translation of one of two words. The first is the Greek word metanoia. Let me hear you all say metanoia. Metanoia. Excellent pronunciation. Um, Metanoia is the word we have in this passage that's being translated repent, and it literally means think again. Think differently. Change your mind. Free your mind, if we have any Matrix fans here, although I'm guessing... Probably not. Um, It's all right, though. Uh, Metanoia means change your thinking. Take the way that you've been thinking, the way you're used to thinking, set that aside for a minute, and think differently. There's a TV show out um, called The Chosen. It's surprisingly good. You can find it online if you Google The Chosen. Uh, And on that show, it's it's this multi-season drama about Jesus and the disciples. It's really good. And on the show, Jesus is always saying, get used to different. It's like his catchphrase. That's metanoia. Think differently. Now, if that's still a little too abstract, that's okay. It is Greek after all, right? It's all Greek to me. Um, And the good news is, Jesus probably wasn't speaking Greek. The Gospels and the New Testament was written in Greek because that was like the lingua franca. That was the common language of the day that just about everyone knew. But Jesus was speaking Aramaic. He lived in Judea, and he spoke this kind of first-century offshoot of Hebrew called Aramaic. And I mentioned that there are two words in the Bible that get translated repent. The first is metanoia, but the other is the Hebrew word teshuva. Let me hear you all say teshuva. Very good pronunciation. Teshuva is probably much closer to what Jesus would have been saying. And teshuva literally means to turn. If you're heading the wrong way and you realize it, you teshuva, you turn and you go another way. Um, If you're in a crowd of people and you're trying to get someone's uh, attention, be like, uh, hey, 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 teshuva, teshuva, over here. 
Teshuva means turn. If you have hang-ups with the word repent, if that word has too much baggage for you, maybe try thinking in terms of teshuva, turn. Jesus is inviting us to turn. Exchange our old way of thinking for a new way of thinking and go a different way. I know there have been multiple times in my life when I've had to turn to be faithful to Jesus. Not sure if you can relate to that or not. Um, When I was growing up, my dream job was to either be a comedian, a rock star, or a shock jock. So, you know, very attainable goals I set for myself. Um, but, like, when I was, when I was uh, nine years old, I'd walk to school, and I'd be listening to Howard Stern on my Walkman. Do you guys remember Walkmans? Do you remember these things? Not Discmans, like, with the little CD. Those weren't out yet. The thing where all you had was a tape and, like, the AM, FM radio. I would walk to school in, like, fifth grade listening to Howard Stern and other shock jocks on the radio, which speaks volumes to what's wrong with me now, I realize. Um, But I grew up, those were my heroes. I grew up idolizing, like, stand-up comedians, people who got paid to be funny. I actually got to do stand-up in my late teens and early 20s. I had a blast. It was a lot of fun. I probably learned more about preaching Uh, doing stand-up in comedy clubs than any class I took in seminary. But then when I was in college, I landed my dream job. I got an internship at this big radio station in Philadelphia, which was 24-7 shock jocks. These folks who got paid to tell jokes and basically be as offensive as possible on the radio. That was my job. I got to like work in the green room and like help them. It was my dream job the thing I'd worked for my entire life, and I absolutely hated it. I remember my first day on the job, I walked in on my boss doing lines of cocaine off of their desk. And it like, it wasn't even like a thing. It wasn't embarrassing or anything. It's just like, oh, this is apparently what Monday mornings are like here. Um, There were tragically broken people just wallowing in their misery. A lot of substances being used at this radio station. Um, People who were making fun of celebrities and other people who would like call in to the radio shows, um, largely to cover over their own hurt and shame. That was the comedy, and I hated it. I got to the end of the internship and there were all these job postings that like all my fellow interns were applying for. And I remember just being like, I can't do it. I can't stay here. I can't stay on this road. If I stay in this world, it's going to destroy me. I had to turn. I had to teshuva. I didn't know where I'd end up. Um, I had no idea that three months later I'd be in seminary. Uh, If I'd have known that, I might have stayed in radio. But I had to turn. I had to go another way. When Jesus tells us to repent, he is inviting us to turn. And of course, that raises two questions. What's Jesus asking people to turn towards, right? And what is he asking them to turn away from? If we want to know what Jesus means by repent, by teshuva, we've got to figure out what he was inviting people to turn toward and what he's telling them to turn away from. So let's start with that first question. What's Jesus inviting people to turn toward? 
I want you to think about every gospel message you've ever heard. Any uh, revival meeting you've been to, evangelistic sermons, that sort of thing, there's usually a selling point. There's usually something being promised that people are being told to turn toward, and it usually has to do with the afterlife, right? Have you ever seen a gospel tract? Are we familiar with, with these things, these little tracts that are printed on, on tiny little shiny pieces of paper they fold up? Has anyone seen these before? Because if not, this is not going to land at all. Okay, a few of us, thank God. Um, <laughs> the church I grew up in, this was a big thing. Like, they had, the, they had a rack with these. Um, now it's like you're more likely to find them in like a truck stop bathroom or something like that. But the idea with these tracts is it's, it's written out and it presents the gospel message. It's supposed to, you read it and it shows you how to become Christian. Um, here's one. The front reads, going to heaven, question mark. I like that. And then you get this long list. Um, check below what you think is necessary to get you into heaven. And it's got like um, doing your best, going to charity, uh, giving a charity, going to church, prayer. Um, and then you open it up and it's like wrong. None of the above will get you into heaven. You have to repent. And you flip it over and there's a prayer on the back that you pray inviting Jesus into your heart. And it says that if you say that prayer, you'll go to heaven which is confusing because the front says that prayer doesn't get you into heaven, so I think there's maybe um, some mixed messages there. But, like, you get the, get the idea if you've seen these. Um, here's another track. If I die tonight, where will I spend eternity? This is like marketing 101, right? You ask a question to create need. Think about like every infomercial you've ever seen. It's late at night, you can't sleep, you're flipping through the channels. There's a guy with a mustache trying to sell you a knife that can cut through a tree for some reason, right? Do you need a knife that can cut through anything? Do you struggle to get stains out of your kitchen rugs? Do you want to go to heaven when you die? It's the same sort of approach. It's like evangelism as infomercial almost. Heaven is usually the selling point. That's what we're usually inviting people to turn toward. You say a prayer, you convert to Christianity, sign on the dotted line, and then you get to go to heaven. But notice, though, Jesus doesn't say anything about heaven in this passage. He doesn't ask people where they're going when they die. In fact, he doesn't even start with a question. Jesus' message of repentance begins with an announcement the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is at hand, is what it says in like older Bibles. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus is inviting people to turn toward the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is something we've talked about in here before. Um, it's at the center of Jesus' teaching. It's something that's going to come up over and over again in Mark's gospel. The kingdom of God is something that everyone was longing for in Jesus' day. I know a lot of us struggle with this concept. We don't know what it's like to live in a kingdom, but Jesus' audience knew. They lived in the kingdom of Rome. Remember, these are an occupied people. I think I've mentioned that every week so far in this series. Um, the Jewish people at this point in history are living under Roman occupation. They're facing violence, injustice, dehumanization every day. Their experience is way closer 
to the Haitian migrants that we see down in Texas than it is to our experience. That's the category these people are living in. They're living under the kingdom of Rome, but they are longing to live under the kingdom of God. They're waiting for God to show up and make things right. Fix all that's broken in the world. Wipe away every tear. They're waiting for God to establish justice, to set them free, to raise up the lowly and hold the powerful accountable. They're waiting for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seems like I've heard that somewhere before. That's the kingdom of God. That's what they're waiting for. And Jesus' message in these opening lines is the time has come. The time is fulfilled. That thing you're waiting for is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus isn't selling something in the future that will get maybe someday after we die. He's selling a reality. He's offering a reality that we can have right here and now that stretches into eternity, the kingdom of God. Look at what God is already doing in the world. Let me show you how to be part of that. Let me show you how to live in harmony with your enemies. Let me show you how to find peace with God and your neighbor. Let me show you lives restored and people made whole. Let me show you forgiveness and reconciliation. That is what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what Jesus is inviting us to turn toward. Which leaves us that other question. We're being invited to turn toward God's kingdom What is it we have to turn away from? If we want to see God's kingdom reality at work in the world, what is it we have to leave behind? Let's keep going in our passage. Mark 1, verse 16. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Jesus runs into some fishermen. He's going around preaching repentance, announcing the good news of God's kingdom, and he encounters four fishermen, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And they leave everything to follow him. The text doesn't tell us much about these fishermen, what was going on in their life, what their circumstances were. We don't know why they left everything and followed Jesus. Presumably, their lives would have been pretty set at this point. Um, Andrew and Simon are self-employed. That sounds like a sweet gig. Um, James and John are working on their father's boat with a bunch of hired hands. Clearly, there's some thriving businesses going on here. Presumably, these guys are living comfortably. But they meet Jesus, and all of a sudden, the status quo doesn't do it for them anymore. 
I think we hear the word repent, and we usually think in terms of conversion. We assume it's a message for non-Christians, a sort of once-and-done thing, like repent? Oh, yeah, I did that. I did that when I was 12, right before I got baptized. I'm good. I'm covered. I've checked that box. But that's not what's going on with the disciples. Simon, Andrew, and the others aren't converting to anything. They're not shifting their religious affiliation. There's nothing to convert to at this point, right? Like, they're Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. Christianity isn't a thing yet. The word repent is for us. They're already in, but they're still told to repent. Repentance is the Christian life. Our lives as Christians are a series of turns. You're heading one way, and then you realize that God is calling you to a different way, and so you turn, you teshuva, and you head in that direction. Repentance is a lifelong journey. It's not just for non-Christians. It's for us too. Recent example of uh, repentance that at least some of us are working through right now on Tuesday nights, uh, we've got the Color of Compromise study meeting here at the church. Um, it's been a powerful time. We're only a few weeks into it. Um, but we're reading this book together written by uh, Jamar Tisby. He's an African-American pastor. And he's talking about the legacy of white supremacy in the church. It has been a hard book to read. Gut punch after gut punch. Because it keeps revealing ways we all need to turn. One of the things I'm starting to realize reading this book is that if I'm going to participate in God's reality, if I'm going to experience the sort of beloved community that's described in the Bible where the dividing lines are taken down, differences are erased, and people come together, then I have to, come, I have to repent of all the ways that I have been complicit in racism and injustice. I have to turn and go another way. Reading this book, we're starting to see in these conversations, if you're white and Christian, it's easy to just ignore this. It's easy to ignore problems of race and just continue with the status quo. We can do that. It's easy for us to ignore that we treat Haitian asylum seekers worse because they're black. If you're white, you can just ignore all of it. But our brothers and sisters of color don't have that option. That was something that came up in the conversation this past week. Really powerful moment. Racial injustice is an everyday part of their lives. And our brothers and sisters in the black church are crying out for justice. Which means that we have a choice. I have a choice. I can stick with the status quo where it's comfortable, or I can turn and live a life that is closer to God's kingdom reality. We can participate with God in the work of overcoming division, healing racial injustice and trauma, making things new. But we have to turn. We have to repent. And that's just one example that's like pressing and on my mind, on my heart because of this class. Jesus is calling us all to repent. That could look very different in your life. Jesus is calling us all to turn and break ourselves free from whatever broken, 
patterns, habits, sins, systems we find ourselves in and embrace the way of God's kingdom. If you follow Jesus long enough, business as usual is going to get pretty old. There's this unease that starts to grow inside you with the world as we've just allowed it to be. Once you catch a glimpse of God's kingdom reality, once you see the power of God at work in the world, the status quo just doesn't cut it anymore. Once you realize that our faith isn't just fire insurance for the afterlife, but that the kingdom of heaven begins here and now and continues into eternity, there's no coming back from that. So repent. Teshuva. Turn. Drop your nets and follow Jesus. Face whatever it is in your life that is holding you back and embark on the lifelong journey of repentance because the time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is drawing near. So repent and believe the good news. Let's pray. God, we invite you into our hearts this morning. We invite you to transform us and make us new. We invite you to make us uncomfortable with the status quo, with the world as we've allowed it to be. And God, we invite you to make us hungry for your kingdom. Search our hearts, Lord. Give us eyes to see the ways in which you are already at work in our midst and empower us to follow. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.